So welcome to another episode of Rugby Chat. It has been a while, but we talk all things rugby, especially here in Zimbabwe, as well as what is happening beyond the borders of Zimbabwe. Today is actually a very special episode. We are in the city center, in the midst of town. But of course, uh, we are having a wonderful guest uh, on the program today, on the podcast today, and that is uh, Derek Chiwara. Now, many of you, especially with the Zimbabwean circles will have an understanding that Derek Chiwara is an experienced coach, one who played rugby himself, and we're going to hear uh, a bit about that, but also one who has done a whole lot in terms of local rugby development and was more recently appointed as the Zimbabwe Women Cheaters uh, coach. And of course, he's got an assignment to try and see that the ladies make the Olympics, the ladies make, make it through to the uh, World Series and can be begin to play at the highest level. But once again, Derek, it is an honor to have you on the podcast. Thank you very much, Rimbo. I'm very much excited. Uh, thank you so much for your patience. And I know this has been a long time coming. Uh, looking forward to uh, spending a bit of time with you today and sharing as much as I can. All right. So, uh, Derek, let's start off. Where did the passion for rugby get ignited? I mean, let's go back to those playing days uh, where we used to wear those uh, boots which did not have steel under them and so on. So, so where did that ignition for your rugby passion actually come? I'd say it all started at grassroots and my foundation uh, was at Umvukus Primary. That's in Vuri. And when you talk of Mvuri back then, like you said, uh, was the home of uh, rugby. The farmers around that area had a beautiful environment, a beautiful atmosphere that allowed and accommodated rugby to take part. Uh, and Mvugus was just one of those primary schools in the farms uh, that just ignited my passion to play the game. Um, watching the those old boots, the iron steel, <laughs> they all looked all rugged and all uh, racking people's backs. Um, it, it really gave me a passion to say, let me get going. And from there, I moved on to Lord Malvern High School, uh, which is my first time now being in the city. Um, and it, it became part and parcel of my life. Though I played many other sports, uh, but rugby just became part and parcel of my life. Uh, till I then moved on to Harare Sports Club in 1997, where I made my day before Harare Sports Club. All right. I mean, just talking about, you know, Umfukwese, I remember back in primary, we, we played one or two games. That was back around about 98 when I was still back at Highlands Primary School. And yeah, they were a competitive side. Uh, but let's talk a little bit more about Lord Malvin before we get into the club rugby days and your coaching. Uh, in terms of Lord Malvin, um, how important was that development, especially for, we can say, Group A schools in Harare that, you know, would naturally have been falling behind those, the, the private schools of the days, the Falcons were alive the, and so on. But Lord Malvin also became a force to reckon with in rugby. Uh, definitely Lord Malvin was the force to reckon with. And you look at the, the presence of Lord Malvin, just like any other schools that were in their league, your Alan Wilsons, your Ellis Robbins, Cranbourne, uh, gave a strong foundation to the game of rugby that we play. They were a massive support pillar in the way rugby was run. 
uh, because at the end of the day, when you look at it, we might not have been the best schools, but we offered great competition. We offered a great atmosphere for the game to grow. Uh, it was always going to be uh, a tough task for us to obviously be the dominant forces. But I guarantee you we made rugby what it is uh, today. In fact, the reason why Zimbabwe was part and parcel of the World Cups back then was the talent that was coming from schools like Lord Malvern, uh, the schools, the, the former Group A schools, that pushed those schools, the private schools, to the limit to make sure we turn out the best players. So getting one or two players uh, making Zimbabwe from those schools, you've, uh, I'll give you an example. We had Jacob Muchepa, who was a former Zimbabwe wing. Uh, so it was no mystery for, for him to make it because once you make Zimbabwe, it shows that you are amazingly talented. We've got guys like Kenny Simba who went on to make it. So it was quite a good uh, platform for growth of rugby. Oh yes, uh, definitely. And of course, that was part of the setup under the likes of Colin Osborne, who, who really brought that through to, to, to develop that. But of course, he's now uh, moved on to other things and, and so on. So let's now move over to your club rugby days. And you make your debut in 1997 and uh, rugby was far more intense back then, uh, I would reckon, than it really is now. It was difficult to make it into uh, any kind of setup, whether it was all Dorarians, uh, back then other clubs that we knew, the likes of the Busters, the old Miltonians were extremely strong, especially rugby down south in Matebelland was extremely strong. So tell us about the level of, of, of competition, first getting into Harare Sports Club and then on a league level rugby then club level was just it was not easy to make it at all uh you talk of the players then it, the physicality was something else like you mentioned the players in Bulawayo, then guys like brendan dawson the current zimbabwe coach was playing these guys were physical they were aggressive it was just a nightmare trying to make it then and then i'm thinking 97 i pro, uh, i was just that was just one year out of school and then there you get to our sports club and you're meeting the likes of Johnny Ewing, who you're already looking up to and saying, wow, these guys have played at the highest level. Uh, but it was uh, the competition that I was looking forward to. And it was that challenge that I was rearing to take. Uh, and it was no surprise because of the passion, the, the, the drive that I had, that I ended up making my debut for our sports club uh, as a center pairing with Johnny Ewing. So for me, it was just out of the blue. Uh, but it was an, a result of hard work and just being courageous, courageous enough to say, no, I can take on the challenge. Uh, and, and I made the chance. Uh, yeah, so it was quite a good thing. All right. So talking about Johnny Ewing, uh, just him generally, how did he ease you into that uh, center pairing that, that you had and, and going through a season with him? Uh, I mean, how important was his mentorship as well uh, in terms of then growing you as a rugby player? Um, I would say guys like Johnny Ewing, when you see them represent the national side, when you see them playing for the Sevens, uh, you would think, oh, these guys are just not approachable. These guys are going to make hell for you. But what happened was he was very much accommodating. In fact, like you talked about the mentorship, he was just one of those senior players who did not uh, care who you, where you came from, your background and all. So he embraced me. In fact, for me to make that debut, I don't think if he still remembers, but it was because of him, because he 
then identified me working out during practice and obviously asked the coach who that guy was and he gave me a shot during our shadow rugby and it was no surprise when I then made it. Uh, but I'd say he was very much uh, a pillar in the growth of, of what I am today in terms of a rugby player and a coach. Um, he was there to guide you through each and every situation. He knew the shortcomings, he knew the challenges, he knew what it took to make us play at that level and he was just uh, a perfect mentor, a great leader as well. All right, absolutely great. So you get into that rugby side, how did that season flow and, and generally for how many seasons then did you kick on uh, before you then said, look, you know what, I think it's now <laughs> it's now time for me to call it quits and now begin to move on to the level of coaching. Um, the season went on well. Um, I think by then, Harare Sports Club was playing some very good rugby. We had obviously tough challenge, uh, tough times with all the Harareans, Busters. You talk of uh, other teams. Uh, I think by then, we were also playing teams in Vuri, Banquet. Uh, it was just one of those seasons that went on well. Uh, but as time went on, um, challenges were coming in. Um, I remember after that season, we then had uh, the youngsters coming through. And at one stage, that, in fact, the, what happened was we had young Danny Hondo coming into the picture. And when he came in, listen, his talent was just crazy. And I was nowhere close to what his skill set was. And was <laughs> I was not surprised when I was dropped uh, as the center pairing with Johnny Ewing because Hondo was just on another level. But what I loved was because of the work that I had put in uh, over the years, it made it easy for me to remain in the first team. And it just happened that I was just then moved to playing as an eighth man or number six at, uh, at times. And I became a loose trio and that became part and I mean, that became my position till I retired from rugby and that's about 2011. Uh, but I'd say I had very good times as, as an eighth man. Um, it was obviously now my second position. I got to adapt, I got to adjust and understand how it is. And we won championships at our sports club playing as eighth man and it was also good that the year I retired we had obviously won the last the, my last championship with Harare Sports Club and it was just an awesome uh, send off for me obviously and I became a coach. Oh yeah, well, of course, just to remind you, as as you are listening to this podcast, it is the Rugby Chat. Uh, I'm Ruimbo Chakreka and I'm having a, a lovely, lovely chat with uh, the current Zimbabwe Women Cheaters coach, that's Derek Chiwara. He's a former rugby player, played at Harare Sports Club, and of course, he is a rugby coach who has done some very significant work, even at club rugby level. So, 2011 comes, you've won a championship, um, I mean... Was the thought process always going to be, I'm going to become a coach, or maybe it came generally as an afterthought? Uh, it was never part and parcel of my thinking. I don't, I didn't expect to become a coach, uh, though already I was engaged with Gateway High School as 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 a sports teacher. Uh, so obviously, once you're a sports teacher, you tend to think of coaching and things like that. But coaching wasn't really something that I was thinking of on the rugby side. I was already trying to become a cricket coach. Uh, that was where my focus was. But uh, then there was Timba Muliswa was very much involved with our sports club. And he kept saying, you need to start becoming a coach. You need to start becoming a coach. 
because he was someone I looked up to, someone that we shared a very close bond with. Uh, I, I, I did listen. I was very much humble enough to say, okay, I will retire because he kept saying, no, it's time for you to uh, hang your boots and focus on coaching. So I did listen and I became a coach uh, and Harare Sports Club took me in as the Red Lions coach. Then our second team, I'm not sure if they still call it that, but our second team was called Red Lions and I became the Red Lions coach uh, assisting Nsikelelo uh, Sibanda and Cyprian Mandenge um, and also helped with the ladies at Harare Sports Club. All right, so quite interesting. And uh, I mean, you've spoken about two uh, rugby coaches who also went on to coach uh, the national team as well. I mean, what was it working uh, under those two as well? Their uh, wealth, vast wealth of uh, rugby knowledge and things like that. Uh, those two individuals, to be honest, have just given me the platform I needed uh, to become who I am today. Uh, the knowledge that I have, I will always give credit to those guys. Uh, they accommodated me. They allowed me to express myself. Uh, they believed in me. Uh, there are so many times where I would always, you know, when you're young and coaching and trying to coach your fellow t teammates, those were your teammates back then. It was not easy to earn their respect. It was not easy to express yourself. But they gave me that opportunity to say, you know what you're capable of doing. You can do it. And there were always that driving force behind what I am today. Um, Guys like Nsikelelo are just uh, an inspiration. His passion for rugby is just amazing. Um, he will always give you the chance to, to, to get yourself better. And then working with Cyprian uh, Mandenge was also beautiful because he then he's the guy that then took me with him to Old Harians, uh, where I became his assistant. Uh, and it was also awesome that when I moved to all the Irons with uh, Super, we then won the championship when he was head coach there. Uh, so he, he's, he's, he's a natural winner. He's a natural champion. And moving with him there was just something that was amazing. Uh, to a point where he even gave me a task to take the old Irons 10s team to Zambia, where there was a Lusaka tournament there. And he believed that I could handle it as an individual. And when he sent me to that tournament, uh, I didn't disappoint him because we came back as the champions of the 10th tournament. Uh, so, yeah, Cyprian Mandenge has been just superb. He's been awesome in, in mentoring me and he's I'll still give him credit up to now. He's a person that I'll always knock on his door and say, please, I need your assistance. So whilst actually talking about that um, last year, uh, that was in 2019, you met with your mentor in the final and uh, it was a, a, an issue of the mentor versus the mentee and uh, it seemed like the master was better than his student at the time. So did you guys have a chuckle about it after the match? <laughs> Most definitely. We did. We did. And <laughs> uh, I didn't expect to lose to him. Uh, listen, I've struggled to be that man as a coach. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if it's always like that way. Mentors always have the the the, <laughs> the last laugh. Um, I tried my best to make sure I, I obviously had won over him, uh, but again I failed. Uh, I'm not giving up. <laughs> I will still find a time where I will, <laughs> I will meet Superman Dengue and beat him in a final or beat him in a match because it's something that I've struggled to do as a coach. Uh, but yeah, the ch time will come. But I'll also give credit to a guy that I, I would love to mention. That's Grant Mitchell. 
uh, I would not have been the head coach of all Georgians if Grant Mitchell had not uh, embraced me, taken me on board. He's just one serious guy when it comes to his rugby. He loves the sport. He's passionate about what he does. Um, I don't I don't know if people know how deep that guy is when it comes to uh, focusing on that game of rugby. So I also didn't want to disappoint him. And I thought, yes, I'm going to definitely get Supreme Mandenge there. But uh, I'm sorry, Grant, I didn't work hard on the day. But my chance is coming. And I still believe there's more years for me. Um, before before Cyprian retires, I would definitely have had my chance. Well, Cyprian, I think the message is quite clear. <laughs> Don't retire up until that <laughs> chance actually comes through. All right, so um, you also then had a little bit of a short stint as the uh, Zimbabwe Sables team manager as well. And then uh, there was that, you know, very challenging time that you guys then went through, especially going to Tunisia. But maybe just walk me through in general. Um, what it was like going through a World Cup campaign, uh, trying to qualify for the World Cup and 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 then working with the likes of uh, Peter de Villiers who had come through as the coach at that time. Uh, generally, how much pressure was it there? Because sometimes maybe people think, ah, you're just a manager, so you're just generally moving around. But there's there's pressure on and off the field. Yeah, it's a position I didn't see myself getting because obviously once you're a coach, you're just thinking, oh, I'm just going to focus on coaching. Uh, but Peter de Villiers obviously then identified me out of the blue and said he was wanting to work with me. And it's something that I'll always be grateful for. Uh, so in him wanting to work with me, I thought, oh, shucks, OK, I'm being an assistant coach. But he took me on as a manager. So now that brought out the other side of me, that administrative side of the sport. Uh, it was definitely a, a tough experience because now we were working on a World Cup qualifier and it was not going to be an easy job at all. Uh, yes, we had we had good support in terms of sponsorship from Zertue, Titan Law and I think for once there was a lot of money in the game of rugby that was focused on, on the men. Um, and it, it kind of made my job easier because as a manager this time my focus wasn't on looking for sponsors but it was more of managing a team that was aiming to get to the World Cup. Um, the challenges were obviously now trying to make sure I, I, I do I deliver everything that uh, Peter de Villiers wanted as a coach. This is a coach who had previously been involved with the Springboks and he had a high standard that he wanted and it also made it difficult so even waking up as a manager he would want you to be an hour earlier than everyone else to make sure things are set to make sure the players have their their kits ready to make sure the players have their nutrition set aside uh, so it was very demanding it was demanding but I loved it because now I got to understand what it takes to, to make it at that elite level. Uh, so my role was very, very much demanding but exciting. Um, I also would help make sure players that were needed by the coach from abroad uh, would be land in Zimbabwe or travel from different parts of the world and it was difficult trying to get the logistics right getting the paper there's a lot of paperwork involved uh, that world rugby requires you to fill in their medical conditions their medical fitness there's a lot that the the world rugby requires so that experience was crazy uh, but it made me very much aware and knowledgeable of what is needed 
for us as a nation to compete at the highest level. Uh, so some of the challenges we had, uh, even us uh, struggling in Tunisia, uh, I know a lot of people had their, uh, you, you know, when people are not aware of what's happening in, in an environment, uh, I don't blame them when they voice out and when they speak out. And I know at one stage, uh, people obviously criticize the manager for not being in control of situations that happen in Tunisia. Um, those are things you will take in. It's part of my growth. Um, I'm not going to defend myself where I was at fault. But to, to be honest, it was not a situation where Zimbabwe was at fault. We just arrived in an environment that was hostile, where the hosts obviously used the tactics that they needed uh, to make sure we, we struggled to, to, to focus on the game. Uh, it did play its part. Uh, sadly, we failed to obviously beat them in that environment of theirs. Um, but it was quite an exciting journey. Oh, yes, definitely an exciting journey. And then moving on from that role, uh, all of a sudden, you yeah, then asked, okay, uh, sir, can you take over the cheaters, <laughs> the women cheaters? And, and that becomes a whole different uh, uh, ball game. I mean, you had, of course, coached uh, the ladies at Harare Sports Club. But this was now a whole different ball game because this is a national team level. So it's no longer looking at the ladies that come to Harare Sports Club, but it's now broadening your focus. So let's now take a look at that in terms of your own uh, view, your panoramic view. Uh, what does women's rugby look like in Zimbabwe? Oh, yeah. So like you said, it, it, it was just a total overall. It's, you know, like a total shift from what I was doing as a coach and the focus I had. And then now suddenly I'm Zimbabwe lady cheaters coach, which is even a servant's version. Well, to be honest, the only reason I took up the challenge was because Zimbabwe rugby right now for women um, is at a stage where it's ripe, it's ready to deliver for the nation. It's at a point where I would say we've got the most talented ladies around. Uh, we've got a group of ladies that can take Zimbabwe to the next level. Uh, so this thing of us saying Olympics is a rare thing or World Cup is a rare thing. We've got a nation that can actually take us there through Zimbabwean women, uh, rugby-wise. All right. So, I mean, if, if, if we look at that... Um We've been seeing the, the uptake of rugby and not only um, on the Zimbabwean level, uh, but even worldwide, the uptake of rugby has become immense with World Rugby talking about a close to 150% increase in terms of the uptake of women's rugby. And this becomes an opportunity, I guess, uh, at the end of the day for us to actually take that on board and get our women to qualify, especially when we look at the qualifying uh, process, seems to be a little bit easier as compared to men's. Uh, definitely, I don't want to be complacent or I don't want to look down upon other nations. But yes, for me, the, the qualifying process definitely is a lot easier. Reason, uh, when you talk of Africa right now, we are the only country that has a structured program for junior ladies rugby. Uh, so when you see our, na our national team take uh, the junior national side, which is our Craven Week side, uh, take part in South Africa, that is just to show you what's happening at that development stage we have girls uh 
increasing in numbers in terms of participation. Uh, the game is growing at high school. Uh, the goals are coming in numbers. And they have laid a foundation for us, the foundation that no other African country has. Uh, so for that reason, we have no excuse whatsoever to struggle. And this is what, what, why you then say it's an easier process. I would agree with you and say we actually have an easier qualification process than any of the national teams that we have in the country. All right. So uh, basically, if we look at... Um uh, the likes of uh, South Africa, I think there was a testing of the waters last year as well when we had the opportunity of having the South African under-20 women's rugby side coming here. Now, of course, the scores were not in our favor and maybe we got a little bit of a rude awakening. So tell us, where do you think the, uh, the gap is? What more do you think we can do as a nation? Because when, it's see, when we go down to the under-18 Craven Week side, our Zimbabwe under-18 women's rugby team does fantastic. I mean, they can beat a, a number of teams, uh, come out ranked a second or third within the tournament due to their performance. But when it came to that under-20 experience, we then saw there was a gulf. Uh, in 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 the quality in terms of what is being done, what do you think then uh, causes that gap? Uh, the gap is caused by obviously a, a, a total distinction in terms of the development pathways. Um, we we honestly, uh, I would say there was no development pathway for for our women. So from the time they finished Craven Week as under 18s, uh, there was nothing for them to look forward to. Uh, meaning the, the next thing that they're focusing on is representing the lady sables or lady cheetahs. Uh, so when we finally got a chance to say let's create an under 20 side, um, it was obviously going to be tough because from being an under 18, there was nothing that they did between that period and becoming under 20s. And a lot of these girls either stop playing the game, a lot of these girls then uh, uh, leave the game because of various cultural problems which make them get into early marriages, early pregnancies or whatever it is. It could be career choice um, that makes them stop the game. So we were not tapping into the time. We did not develop the girls from that Craven Week side that did so well. So we're obviously going to struggle at under 20. And when the South Africans brought their team, hey, those scores just showed us that we needed to do something. And I believe now we're in a process of us refocusing, um, redirecting our, 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 obviously, our brains into us trying to make Zimbabwe a better nation for the women. All right. So, Derek, as we're coming to the end of this uh, podcast uh, on Rugby Chat, what are your plans, I mean, moving forward? Of course, you know, we would want you to make the World Series, would want you to uh, also uh, make it into the various tournaments, Olympics and so on, and, and even the Sevens Rugby World Cup. But generally, what is your pathway? What is it that we're focusing on? Uh, maybe for the next two or so years in order to kind of get to that level? Okay, um, I've, I've slowly been working on what I call a Zimbabwean development model. Um, a lot of countries have development models that they use, uh, which nature the talent that they obviously identify. So it has got me to go through a process of talent identification, which is my first task as we stand. Uh, so talent identification gets me obviously to go to various parts of the country. I am not 
going to focus on Harare anymore or Bulawayo, but I've got to go throughout the country. Harness the talent that I definitely uh, identify. So it means now what I'm looking for is athletes. I'm not looking for a rugby player, but I'm looking for athletes. And these athletes can be found in the different parts of the country. So recently I was in Saumani, where we're talking of Honde Valley. These are the girls who would probably walk to school daily for two to three hours just to get to school and have another two to three hours to come back. They practice on facilities where there is no grass or anything for them to. So they don't have those facilities. But what I'm saying is those athletes are what we need. Those athletes are what we need to develop. So I'm also going to schools looking for sprinters just a sprinter so probably your background is there's no rugby in it but if i can get athletes who are physical appearance is key because we're going to be talking of playing girls like uh, the ones from kenya who are massive in stature uh, so we want to also get capture the girls like that in our country and we do have women like that so it's now an issue of making sure i get to different parts of the country and what I've done is obviously put in a four-year plan. A four-year plan just simply means uh, I, I'm not aiming to make the World Cup anytime soon, but definitely in four years, the results of the groundwork that we're doing have to make us take part in an Olympic event, have to make us take part in, in the World Cups, uh, or get ourselves into the World Series, which is our um, uh, task. Um, so we're looking at a stage where we need to increase the participation of women's the women's game. So our ladies hardly have enough games to talk of. Uh, so now we're looking at a situation where we can get at least 50 to 60 games in a year uh, for the Sevens girls. And that means a lot of local tournaments. We're not even going to think of going out, but a lot of local tournaments that are going to be structured in such a way that there's a lot of intensity competitiveness. And then we have to also challenge ourselves to getting out there. So we're also targeting just about three tournaments outside Zimbabwe. Uh, we're talking of going to North Carolina, which we intend to make an annual thing, where we will get a chance to beat some of the European nations or the American nations that are already playing in the World Series. So it will give us a chance to rub shoulders with uh, their structures, uh, the ladies that they're involved with. Uh, it will also give us a chance to, to, to make sure our girls get that international exposure. Uh, and then we'll also talk of Dubai Sevens, which will be pushing a lot. Uh, so we want, we're looking at at least three major tournaments that will get us used to playing international flavor and get ourselves ready for uh, a qualification probably in the next three, four years. All right, definitely that is a lot of work that has to be done. And of course, tons of support will be needed in that regard. But once again, it just leaves me uh, the, the chance or the opportunity to say, Derek, thank you so much. It has been a wonderful privilege. I mean, walking through the years with you and going through the gears. And of course, uh, Cyprian, uh, you have heard uh, the chances coming. <laughs> Not sure when, but uh, looking forward to that matchup. So you are listening to the Rugby Chat. Uh, podcast you can catch this on spotify you can also go on anchor fm and you can be able to uh, catch up with this podcast so that you can play it to your heart's content my name is rumbo chakureka up until we meet up for the next episode it's bye-bye for now <laughs>